Do you own a small firm? Or if you don't own a firm, would you like to start one? Paget gives firm owners all the benefits of owning a small firm, plus the backing, playbook, and confidence that comes with being backed by a large firm. Stay tuned to hear more about Paget later in the episode. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Federal Tax Updates podcast. And Annie, how are you today? I'm doing great. We're getting really close to that final deadline. So um, I'm, there's something to look forward to on October 15th, and that's the deadline passed. <laughs> and then it won't be long after that. I know, I know. The clock will start ticking again. Well, we're going to talk about things we've talked about a lot, but there has been some updates on a couple of them, uh, some significant and mm-hmm. some things that if you aren't aware of, you need to be as it relates to, again, the one we always seem to talk about, the employee retention credit, and then the beneficial owner uh, has had some updates. So, Annie, let's start with the ERC, since that's the one that's always on our TV and radios and the one we always talk about. I can't imagine if you've listened to this podcast, you need a refresher, but why don't you kind of refresh everybody and talk about kind of where we started to get to where we are, and then we'll talk about what's, what's changed again. Yep. We are always talking about ERC, Roger. And and with that, um, like you said, there is some new developments. But for those who maybe are unfamiliar with what the ERC even stands for, Employee Retention Credit, um, it started in March of 2020. So we're three years plus, right? Right. Um, It was a credit uh, that was meant to incentivize um, employers to keep their workers doing during the pandemic. And the law sort of changed from period to period, but essentially employers are eligible for this credit through the end of 2021. Um, and so that's sort of where we stand today as far as, you know, it doesn't it doesn't run out of money. It's not like a grant or not a, a PPP. funded credit. It's, it's just- that's right. That's right. And there's, depending on what period of time the employees were, there are different percentages and thresholds. And there's a supply chain qualifier that deals heavily on facts and circumstances. But there's different qualifiers. um, And this credit is claimed on the payroll tax return, on the 941, those associated business returns and then the individual returns would then also need to be amended. But what happened was this this came out with a rush. The goal was to get money in the hands of taxpayers. The IRS was trying super hard to make it easy, quick. But of course, during the pandemic, there were staffing shortages. We know about the IRS backlog. These were paper filed, these 941s. So it took a long time for the IRS to get to the envelopes and issue the money. And there was guidance, pieces of guidance coming back. And tax practitioners were overworked. Small businesses were struggling to stay open. So it was just sort of like this pure chaos, although the goal of the plan was was really to help small business owners mm-hmm. with so many moving parts. Um, it's not a shock. What we call the ERC mills sort of popped up. And those are little groups of people who are doing a lot of advertising, a lot heavy marketing, promising money, um, some even 
very aggressive with their calls and emails and constantly contacting small business owners saying, hey, you can get all this money, you can get this credit, all you got to do is, you know, file the 941s. Well, of course, when there's chaos and there's a lot of money being handed out, we see fraud. And that's sort of, unfortunately, where this went. Um, so the, the fraudulent claims kind of ramped up. The mills, we called them ERC mills, you know, they, they take a cut of the money. So if you were going to get a credit of 50000 you may have to pay them 5000 So the taxpayer would then net forty five. So there's a lot of um, taxpayers who were, pay- you know, the mills would take their cut and then maybe disappear or move on or not really follow through with what should have happened. And then the legitimate claims are taking a long time. So then taxpayers are getting frustrated and tax practitioners are getting frustrated because they're holding off on amending returns and trying to get their work done with clients like, where's my money? Where's my money? And there's no real tracking. You can't log in online and be like, oh, I'm fifth in line here. Mine shouldn't be coming. So it just sort of, as you can imagine, this sort of snowballing effect and the fraud increased and the backlog increased and taxpayer frustration increased. And so now we are sort of sitting here <laughs> again that's today, we, That's where we are today. That's where we are today. <laughs> and, and um, I think you make a couple of points that we need to, to remember that go back to how we all felt and how we acted back at the end of 20, early 21, when we were in the middle of a pandemic, something I guess none of us had ever experienced before. Right. Uh, policymakers, the IRS, our industry were all trying to adapt and figure out what was what was going to happen tomorrow, and mm-hmm. and a lot of this was very well intended and probably very necessary. But yeah. when you do something in a hurry, then you create opportunities. And when you hand out this kind of money, because yep. this is lots of money when you're talking about potentially twenty six thousand dollars in employee over the two years, it, it adds up. It, it has led to all these commercials that we were seeing and. We'll, we'll talk in a minute about what changed, but um, we're still seeing to some extent. And then what also changed from Congress's perspective, and Annie, you again, you referenced this. In the beginning, Congress was worried about why is it taking so long to get this money out? You know, mm-hmm. these the businesses need it. They need it now. And yet, because it's a paper form going into a building where people weren't working and paper was already there, it took a long period of time for for the IRS to begin making a dent in the processing of them. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, I guess about six months ago, Congress woke up and said, whoa, wait a minute, there's a lot of fraud here. Absolutely. And uh, while I think they're still worried about how fast it takes to get the money out to the legitimate uh, businesses, now they're concerned about what could be an unprecedented amount of fraud because of the amount of money. In fact, I'll make a plug for one of our other podcasts that's basically, you won't hear us in this format because, uh, what was it, July, there was a hearing the House Ways and oh, Means yeah. Committee put together uh, on the fraud in the employee retention credit, and I was one of the witnesses, and they have turned that testimony into a podcast. So that was kind of the time that all of a sudden uh, Congress became worried about the amount of fraud. Now, the IRS has been worried about the amount of fraud for a while uh, because they've been hearing from people like us and other people in the industry about some of the problems we were experiencing because of the mills. So things have changed, at least from the IRS perspective, 
as in a way to try to attack the problem. So mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I think has led to the new uh, attention the IRS has paid to it, Annie, what happened in March or April of this year? Well, the, we got a new commissioner. <laughs> that, and but but it was also a, a switch. The new commissioner came in with, and and actually paid attention and mm -hmm. and addressed it and addressed it very quickly. Right. Um, there were what three or four different forums um, at the IRS forums over the summer. Three or four different meetings that went on there. I think you attended two of them. Yeah, the, not... the, for those of you who don't know, the IRS does something called the IRS Tax Forums. Mm -hmm. There's actually five of them. Uh, around the country each year, and they have a keynote address. And the commissioner, when his schedule allows, is the person delivering in person the mm -hmm. keynote address. Mm -hmm. uh, so he was not able to attend all five of the forums, but he did appear in Atlanta and San Diego. And in addition to doing the keynote address, he asked... Uh, because of his attention to the employee retention credit, he asked the uh, MPL staff at IRS to put him in a room with about, I think, San Diego, there was probably less than 10, and Atlanta, maybe there was 20 uh, people uh, who were attending the forums who dealt with the employee retention credit, and he wanted to hear directly from them what were the problems they were experiencing and and to the extent that they had a solution for some of them, he wanted to hear those. So he was very much uh, interested in hearing from our perspective mm -hmm. what we were seeing. And uh, yes, I was able to be part of both of those meetings and uh, got a chance to to talk about the stuff we've been talking about on the podcast yeah, yeah. for the but, last few months. But that was a crucial turning point right. because hearing from small business owners, from tax practitioners for what's happening with the clients, the issues that the um, taxpayer has, the tax practitioner has, I mean, all together, and then the amount of fraud and the amount of money, I mean, something had to be done. Um, and and now we have it. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> Okay. And I want to put a plug in. A lot of us don't know who, the, don't care who the IRS commissioner is, but it does make a difference. Some commissioners are very engaged with mm -hmm. outside parties. Some are not. But this commissioner, I don't remember the exact date he was confirmed, but it was mm -hmm. March or April. And uh, we're sitting here now and, and September's wrapping up. And I have already had meetings with this commissioner more than probably any commissioner I've dealt with, you know, who served many terms. He he does want to get things done, but he wants to hear from outside mm -hmm. people and he wants to solve problems. And he's fortunate that he has money because well, the Inflation Reduction Act has given him the flexibility to to have some money to do some things and mm -hmm. uh and he's done some things related to the employee retention credit. So um he, there was a big IRS announcement on September the 14th. Yep. So, Annie, why don't you summarize what that announcement was, and then it we'll was, talk a little about it in detail. Yeah, sure. So late afternoon on September 14th, um, the IRS came out with an immediate moratorium. So basically they stopped 
processing ERC claims and at least through the end of the year. So they didn't say December 31st. They didn't say January 15th. All they said was at least through the end of the year. So this, the goal was to stop the scammers, right? Stop processing. Maybe the mills will go away. The fraudulent claims will go away. At least that was the goal. And they put out, you know, another checklist and additional FAQs and and more guidance. But what basically that means is if you did not have that ERC claim postmarked by the 14th, you're on hold. If you send one in now, whether it be it could be a legitimate claim, it's basically just going to go sit in a warehouse until this moratorium is lifted. Yeah. So shocking, maybe. I don't know. Um, maybe that's all they had that they could do. Um, I think some actually are very supportive. I know we are at Paget. We 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 hope all of our offices, we've been saying this for two years, so hopefully all of the claims for our office owners are already in, in process or been done. Um, but technically, the 14th of September will be when the freeze begins. Um, I think at that time, I heard, so I heard two different figures. I heard about 500,000 in backlog. So there are ERC claims sitting there to be processed right. on the 14th. I read an article that said 600,000. So they probably, some, I mean... I know. It's another 100,000 when you're talking about <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think anybody sits there and counts the envelopes. No, I know. So I doubt it's it. It's somewhere between five and 600,000 yeah. claims that were there prior to the 14th mm-hmm. that will get processed. During the moratorium. Right. So though, if it's there, if it was postmarked, then it will get processed. Now, it's probably going to be a little slower. There was like a 90-day-ish mark of of turning around these ERC claims, it's probably going to be maybe even double that. I mean, who knows for sure, but they are looking at them very closely. They may ask for additional information. So the processing time might take a little bit longer. And like I said, any new claims that go in, it's going to be sitting in a warehouse. I honestly, I think we were telling our office owners, you know, if you haven't sent in a claim, maybe sit tight, let, 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 the dust settle a little bit. Um, there could be changes to the application. There could, that who knows what's going to come of this moratorium, what they find. Um, so even if you have a client with a legitimate claim, maybe just sit tight on it for a little bit. I'm not saying till the end of the year, but you know, let's just see how things go because they've the guidance is coming. They they've identified um, various areas that still need to be addressed. So like, what if? What if your return is sitting there, your claim is sitting there, and now you think, oh, maybe I, I don't qualify, and you want to withdraw the, pull the back, claim, right. pull it back. And if the money hasn't been paid out, like, is there a way to do that? How do you identify it? You know, who's looking through all the envelopes trying to find right. the one that you want to pull back? So, And then on the flip side, let's say you got your money, the IRS has already prom- uh, processed it, and now, and now the client's going wait a minute, I think I was fooled. You know, I went to a mill. I don't think I qualify. What do they do? How do they pay it back? They don't have all the money. They paid the mill. They probably spent some, if not all of the credit if they've already received it. So these, you know, the tax the taxpayers are sort of sitting there like, please tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so there's a lot still to be answered. But for now, we just know they're slowing down. They're not processing any new ones post fourteenth, and guidance should additional guidance should be coming. Yeah, what they're what they're going to do during this moratorium, and we'll talk a little bit about the iffiness of the date in a minute. Yeah, they, number one, they want to catch up if they can on that five or six hundred that are there. Mm-hmm. Now they had already started before the moratorium was announced of 
taking claims that looked suspicious and and going back to the taxpayer before they paid it and said, hey, we need more information. Like if you remember when you send in your 941X, you don't tell anybody anything other than a number, basically. You say, no attachments, Here's no a number, proof. send me money. Right. Um, so the service had already started in terms of looking at certain claims and doing whatever checks they could do Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. going to those people and asking for more information. So that was taking the 90 days and turning it into more like 180. So one of the things that they're considering during this moratorium, and you alluded to it earlier, and while we're advising people to wait a minute before they start sending returns into the warehouse, is should they ask for more information on all claims once they lift the moratorium? So if you send in a claim now before we get final word, Mm -hmm. you may find out that that claim is not complete if they decide to ask for the reason you qualified, the dates of a moratorium, or who knows? Who knows, right? So, So I think the first thing that we are telling our offices is let's sit and wait a little while because... A, we want to know about that. B, you just mentioned if you want to withdraw the claim before the money is paid, mm-hmm. what, how do you do that? Maybe more importantly, if you got the money, well, you got some of it because the mill took some took of it. Took some, yeah. But you recognize that you probably were duped by the mill mm-hmm. and you weren't eligible. Uh, the service is aware of those fees that were paid, mm-hmm. and we don't know what it is or what they're going to call it, but they're looking at a way to allow you to pay that back with the understanding that you didn't get, you know, maybe your claim was for half a million, but you only got 400 of it. So how do they treat that 100,000? So right. I think right now we're going to have to have a little patience. Uh, That's what I think, too. Just the moratorium it... is, you know, it's not even 30 days old yet. No, no. I think you'll see something quickly on how to withdraw first. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you go find an envelope with your 941X in the I middle know. of a building with 600000 but hey, that's That's not for my them problem. to figure out. <laughs> yeah. How to pay back, you know, and what that will be will come. Let me, a new thing that has kind of been popping up recently by some of the mills as a way to try to keep you interested, if you will, is they're saying, well, you still need to come to us and get your claim in. Because the IRS could run out the clock with this moratorium because for the 2020 year, the statute of limitations on 2020 claims ends April 15th. And right. I haven't looked at a calendar. If that's a weekend, I'm sure it goes another day. But well, April yeah, but- 15th of 2024. So if they keep this moratorium in place, there may not be a way for a legitimate claim to be submitted the IRS, uh, we had the opportunity to talk to the commissioner last week, and we raised that point, and he said he assures us that they will not do that, that they are really Good targeting yeah. close to the end of the year, if at all possible, so that if you have a valid claim, you will have plenty time. of time to submit it under whatever rules are Yeah, there could be additional. Point. So. Uh, again, don't let your clients be duped into rushing to a mill because they're trying to convince you you better get it in now because they're just going to run then the clock out with a moratorium. Right. And if you wait, then you're not going to get your money. Uh, and I believe the commissioner and what he's saying that that's not their intent. They want to mm-hmm. just stop everything, step back, look at it, 
and we'll have plenty of time to um, to get legitimate claims right. in. Right. Nanny, what do you tell what do you tell somebody other than why'd you wait that yeah. has a legitimate claim and feels like they're being punished because they can't submit it now? Um, so I mean, how would you tell a client, or what would you tell someone that walked in and said, "But this isn't fair," you know, I'm I'm entitled to it. It is it is a difficult place to be, but I I think we've used this example before. It's not you know when you go to the airport, you gotta take off your shoes and go through your bags and all the screens and scanning and everything. It's not because of you know, it's not to harm the the good people. It's to prevent the scammers or to prevent the fraudsters or to prevent the bad people from taking advantage. So one, yes, yes, it's been around for two plus years, um, probably a little late to the game, but regard, regardless, you you have a legitimate claim. The IRS is assured that you would be able to process it. You're just going to have to wait and, and deal with the inconvenience. And that's sort of, I mean, that's not what they want to hear, but that's kind of where we are. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know? and and you mentioned that it, you know going through security. I mean, there's so many places where those of us that you know do things right are inconvenienced by the fact that some don't follow the rules. Yeah, and yeah. so we all have to go through whatever. The airport's a great example. I mean, we all go through security. Think about pre-COVID or, or pre-9/11. Yeah. Security was completely different. Totally. And I don't know. There's any more terrorists than there were then, but we all now go through the painful exercise of getting in long lines, taking our shoes off, putting everything through a scanner, and it's the bad guys cause the good guys uh, problems, and that's where we are with this. Again, there will be time for you to get your claim in, Um, maybe a different way of submitting it than it was today. May take a while, but you know what? You've already waited two some years. Exactly. So. That's what I, you know, a little bit of patience. You will get it. Um, you know, assuming you qualify, you will get it. it like I said, the money's, there's not a, you know, limited amount of funds. The money's not going to run out. Um, I don't think, I agree with you. I don't think that the commissioner's intention is to prevent anyone who has a legitimate claim from filing. Um, I think we just have to be a little bit more patient, and hopefully those ERC mills will be weeded out. Those that are are um, not honest claims can either be withdrawn, you know, those can get out of the process of the 500000 sooner than later, maybe move forward. I don't think they're going to be silent over the next little bit. I don't think it's we're going to no. wait until the end of December to find out what they're going to do. Um, I think we'll get updates. Um, at least I hope so. Yeah, I think we'll get them now. Think about when, let's say they lift the moratorium on December 31st, guess what? We're into the middle of tax, tax season, season and the stat runs out to 15th. Yep. So you can begin working on the calculation oh, of the claims. Uh, if someone comes to you today, you know, there's a coordination with PPP loans. There's what's the dates of the shutdown. There's, you know, there's all those issues. You can do all the work today. The law of how you qualify is not going to change. That's not going to change. The calculation of the credit is not going to no. change. What might change is how you submit that information. So Supporting for those of documentation. You have, yeah, what documentation needs to go in. So yep. for those of you that have clients coming to you, you don't have to wait till January 1st to do the work. Mm-hmm. I would 
tell people to go ahead and do the calculation, determine the credit, have your documents ready yep. so that as soon as the moratorium is listed or lifted, you are being in a position to submit those documents because you're just not going to have time to do yeah, it. Yeah, don't put yourself, don't bind yourself to no. January or something when, when you're ramping up for tax season. Because there's the, the, the statute of limitations is going to end. Mm-hmm. So don't don't get trapped in tax season because you said Roger and Annie told you not to do anything till <laughs> the first of the year. No. I'm telling you, just don't not do the submission before then, but go ahead right. and do all the work, determine their eligibility, calculate the eligible wages, have everything ready so once we get final guidance, you can uh, jump Move on. Forward. And, and let's talk, because this wasn't part of the announcement because it didn't really change because it's the same thing, but talk a little bit about the issue of amending returns and which ones are amendable, which ones aren't, and that, because that hasn't changed. None of this no, has that changed hasn't any changed. of that. And we have talked about this before. Um, so, you know, you you take the credit on the 941, generally the 941X, because you're going back in time, so you're amending those, and then the associated returns. So whatever period of time the qualifying wages were paid is the year that you, so you would have to go back to 2020, 2021 to amend the business returns for the credit to adjust the amount of deductible wages for the credit. And then if it's an S-corp or a partnership, the associated individuals, the partners or the shareholders also then get amended K-1s, which then means that they need to file an amended personal tax return. So it's not just a single return. You know, there's sort of the snowballing effect. Hundreds. Yes. And depending, it could be both years, um, depending on, you know, the period in which they qualified and the wages were paid. The problem is if, say, someone comes to you as a tax practitioner and you do not think that they qualified, you don't think that their ERC claim was legitimate, the mills are filing the 941s. They're not going back and amending business and individual tax returns. You're going to get clients that come to you that went to a mill that you may or may not agree with the conclusion, the calculation, the eligibility, all kinds of aspects of the claim. And in that case, the IRS has specifically stated that tax practitioners should not go back and amend those returns because it's perpetuating the fraud. Right. So it puts puts tax professionals in a really awkward spot Um and the conversation with a client who maybe believes that they did qualify and now you're like, you don't qualify, I can't do your amended returns, but they want to do the amended returns. I mean, it, it becomes complicated. Um, yeah. So And, and now enough. we're waiting on how to pay it back, which means if you convince them that they should pay it back, then you don't need to amend the returns. But you can't tell them not, how. <laughs> yeah, but we don't know how to do that yeah. yet. But it's so. uh, now remember... If you did the return, if you did the ERC credit or you believe the credit to be accurate, well then then go ahead and yes. amend the return. Yes. There's there's nothing stopping you. There's no there's no moratorium on Correct. amending returns except when you believe that the claim originally uh, submitted was false. Exactly. Now, exactly. The IRS has also said that for you to make that determination, you have to be knowledgeable of the ERC rules, and if not, you shouldn't be engaged They're in any in of the client, right, right, so, right, right. But so, but again, nothing here prohibits you from amending tax returns for legitimate. If you are confident that the ERC claim was correct, 
So again, the moratorium doesn't address that. That was actually something we've known, gosh, what's that been about a year now? Oh, at least. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we've so, talked about it so much. <laughs> nothing has changed in that. This does not change anything other than you have maybe one more tool to remind people when you're explaining to them why you won't amend their return mm -hmm. is for one reason, we're going to wait and see what the repayment policy is because it might help you encourage them to give it back. Because oh, yeah. at the end of the day, what, what they need to understand, clients who went to one of these mills got a claim that they shouldn't have. A lot of money. Again, use my half-million-dollar example. They got mm -hmm. a half-million dollars. If they get audited and it's determined that they shouldn't have received the half-a-million dollars, they're going to owe it all back, plus penalties and interest, unless they probably comply with whatever this repayment thing is that we don't know what it is yet. So um, you probably thought if you didn't do ERC claims, you weren't going to be impacted by the employee retention credit. But you know what? As long as you have small businesses who were out there claiming it, you're you're going to be dealing with it. So yep. any last words on the employer? Oh. We're going to have to all keep an eye out I what's know. going to happen between now and the end of the year. But. I promise we will be talking about it again on another podcast. So follow and listen to us because we will let you know whatever happens. And when it happens, we will be sure to send it to you. Let you know. So, yeah. And, and we'll keep watching for announcements on how to withdraw mm -hmm. the claim, how to pay the claim back. Those are something that I think we'll... We'll hear in the near future. And I think so, too. The, the lifting of the moratorium and any changes to the application. Okay. Hi, I'm Jeff Phillips, CEO of Pageant. We've been helping firm owners grow the right way for over 50 years by providing marketing, technology, and, of course, tax support. It's like hiring another 20 people who help you run your firm, but for a tiny fraction of the cost. And if you like this podcast, remember that these are two of the national team leaders at Pageant that exist to support Pageant firm owners. So to learn more, visit pagetadvisors.com slash podcast or pagetadvisors.com slash podcast now, let's get back to my colleagues, Roger and Annie, for the federal tax updates. Let's go to another topic that we've talked about before, and I guess it was even after the moratorium, we got some information yeah. on the beneficial owner information reporting that is currently to begin on January 1st of this year. Yep. Again, Annie, give everybody a little history. I will, because this has been around. Because this is one a lot of people have no idea what we're talking well, about. Well, and it's been around since, it's been around for two years. Yeah, it, it was, it, the bill was it, the Transparency Act of 2020. I don't know when it was passed, but it started, it started talking about it in I 2020. Mean, seriously, and, and what this is, um, this is run by FinCEN, so it's not the IRS, but um, what the basic rule is that a beneficial owner, someone who's an individual directly or indirectly that either owns, controls at least 25% of the company or has substantial control over reporting. Now, of course, they've got all these definitions for substantial control and ownership interest. And, it, and there's details of who this applies to. There's very little exceptions. In fact, the, the exceptions to having to file this report is for much larger companies. Right. Like the, the small businesses, the small, the smaller LLCs, those types of things are going to be subject to this. And like Roger said, it starts at the beginning of the year. 
And what that means is if you started your business prior to January, you do have a full year to fill out the report. That's four. Yeah, a full year of 2024. That's not really the scary part. It's the ones who were created after January 1. You have 30 days. That 30 days to file a report that you've never even heard of or known that you needed to do. We don't even we don't have it yet. We don't even know what it looks like. We have ideas of what's going to be required on it, um, but you there's going to be an online process. That's what we know. You're going to have to submit the reports. You're going to have to within 30 days if you were started your business after January one. Again, twelve the, the full calendar year if you were in business before January one. But any changes you only get 30 days to update the report for any changes too. So the timing is kind of scary given the penalty. I mean, FinCEN's penalties have always been a lot. The penalty is $500 per day up to $10,000 and two years in prison. I don't think anybody's going to jail. That's not what I'm trying to say. But it is something that we have been watching, um, something that because of the amount of penalties and the lack of communication, it's just something that so many small business owners have no idea is on the horizon. And it's coming in January. We don't have the form yet. However, I will say, I know, I will say that um, just, let's see, it was on the 18th, the 18th, um, FinCID did come out and publish what they are calling their guide, small entity compliance guide. They put it out on the website. They put out some FAQs, which are basically off of the the guide. Um, it's out on the the website. Um, there, the guide's actually pretty good. It's got a lot of uh, flow charts. That's some and, flow charts. It's got some. Now, some yeah. of that was stuff they'd already put out before, and they tried to take credit for it twice. <laughs> well, they they did they did organize it a little right. bit better. They did um, update some FAQs, added some new FAQs. It's pretty easy on the eyes for something that's kind of complicated. There's almost like a glossary of terms that they use in there. Regardless, that is the latest information that we have, which is better than what we were waiting yeah. on for, for yeah, some time. Yeah, we have time. more, but, but here's some of the scary parts of this. Number one, most people assume when you hear something like this that there's a small business exception. There's not. It's, there's actually, a, as you mentioned, it, a large business right, exception. Right, right, right. Because any business that is formed through the state is covered. Uh, well, I shouldn't say any 20 employees or less. I mean, again, the small, they're, they're going after the small ones. Yes. The guide listed some exemptions. Uh, and one of them, just to give you a heads up, pay attention. It says accounting firms in the FAQs. But you, yeah, if you read does. what they're talking about, yeah. that ain't you and me. That's not us. <laughs> we uh, don't. So we're not exempt for ourselves. It's really the 30-day problem. So That's what I think, know, too. And, and the 30 days, you know, Annie just mentioned that for an existing business, you have all of 24 to, to go ahead and do it. And if you form a business, you have to do it within 30 days. However, if a, one of these existing businesses has a change, they fall under the 30 days as well. And I think what kind of turned me off of this, I was in Washington last week meeting on this, is... If you go to the FAQs uh, that they put out last week, one of the things you have to submit as part of either the initial application, if it's an existing business, or you're setting up a business of one of these beneficial owners, and it's not just 25%. It can be substantial control over banking, hiring, firing. There's all these kind of nebulous terms. 
But one of the things that you may have to submit for one of these beneficial owners is a copy of the driver's license. And okay, but if they renew their driver's license, that starts the 30-day clock ticking. Oh, my goodness. Because I did not know it, that. I did not yes. know that. It's in question H.2. Oh. That if you submitted their driver's license as part of their initial application and they renew their driver's license and a name, address, or number, and I'm assuming every driver's license gets a new number, then you have to so. submit a new a change to that form within 30 days. So as you are deciding whether as a firm owner you want to assist your clients in doing this, how many of you track renewal dates of your clients' driver's licenses? Because I don't think we're going to know when little things like that take place they're going to come to us to get their taxes done. We're going to realize their driver's license was flipped out sometime back in June. It's been six months. And, and what do we do? So yeah. it is not designed to work in the real world. And the, the only agree. good news I can say is there is a lot of increased interest now in delaying this. The Treasury came out, and they're supposed to be um, proposing a rule which would delay it. Now, I don't know the delay would be from January, or is it the 30-day delay? Like, they weren't clear on what part. Right. Yeah, we what? don't know. And even FinCEN said they don't have the money to enforce this or to implement this. And all the accounting associations, when you see something like a driver's license change, Number one, will your insurance carrier cover you under your errors and omissions if right, you fail right. to make a change? No. There's discussion about whether it's the practice of law when it's done because they talk about what I think it's called the reporting agent or whoever mm -hmm. sets up the company uh, has to submit their name. Yep. You know, so that's typically an attorney. So Let me tell something? you, I don't want to be on anybody's report. <laughs> Not <Yeah>. me. <laughs> but when we, if we don't get changed to this 30-day period and things like a new driver's license can trigger it, we just don't have a relationship with our clients that puts that kind of information on our radar. So think yeah. about the systems you would have to set up you would have to start monitoring every beneficial owner's driver's license renewal date. You would have to monitor activities like who who can go to the bank and borrow money and who's you know things things that hire, we just fire. aren't accustomed to to dealing with. And we'd have to know within thirty days. So how many of your clients do you see every thirty days? Because this yeah. could happen. So there's a real hesitancy. For, I hope from our people to think. Yeah, it's, it's a go online, you fill out one form. Okay, big deal. You submit some driver's licenses. That's not the problem. Mm -hmm. It's the monitoring of it and the going forward that we have to think, are we in a position to do that? FinCEN has never issued anything that impacts this many people. So they're not very good at – the IRS issues tax guidance all the time. Yeah. So they know how to – communicate as best they can to well, millions of businesses and practitioners. They don't have the funding. How they, They're they so already so far behind. I mean, we've got like, we're in the last quarter of the year, and this is a massive, massive piece of, you know, legislation, so to say. And we don't have, we don't even know what we're doing yet. It's scary. Well, and FinCEN may have kind of 
sunk their own boat when they came out with the example of the driver's license. Because I know when I was in Washington last week and I mentioned that to people on the Hill, they looked at me like, what's stupid? I said, yeah, (laughs) that's what the FAQs say. I think so, too. So uh, I'm hopeful that we'll get a delay and that FinCEN will – what we actually asked when we were in Washington last week is for the smallest of small – can't you make this an annual reporting so that it can be oh, like part that. of their normal income tax process? Right, right. Then we could we could conceivably work with that if you let it happen when they come to part us to the get cycle, their tax. Part of the cycle, right. in some cases, that's the only time we see them. Right. But even if I saw them every month, nothing – I've done this for more years than I want to admit, and I've never had to worry about when their driver's license expired. And yeah, that seems really silly. So I'm not going to – I don't know how I'm going to make my old brain <laughs> set up a system that tells my clients, please call me when you renew your driver's license. Or if you lose it and have to go get another one. It costs you $10,000 if you don't tell me when you – they're going to look at me like you've That's lost right. your mind. Why do yeah. I care? Yeah. So a lot happening. The, the FAQs, you know, they're there was some good. new stuff, not a lot. They talked a lot about the documents you have to submit, and that's where the driver's license thing came mm-hmm. up. But, but if any of you have the FAQs, and I've got it marked here. I want to make sure I give you the right one. Go look at the uh, question. I have to put my glasses on here. H, H.2. And I'm going to read straight from it. Any change to a beneficial owner's name, address, or unique identifying number previously provided to FinCEN. And then it says, if a beneficial owner obtained a new driver's license, or some other identifying document that includes a changed name, address, or identifying number, the reporting company could also have to file an updated beneficial ownership information form with FinCEN, including an image of the new identifying document. So Within 30 days. (laughs) Within 30 days. So I I just have to believe that something's going to change because, the again, you mentioned it. The form's not even out. And it's online. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, and it's they've got like the schematic years. of what it's going to ask for, but, but it's still, not even there. You can't do it. Even if you tried to do it, you can't even do it. You've got so. They've got to educate all attorneys who do LLC and corporate formations. Yep. Entity all selection. All small business all owners, them. potentially all tax practitioners. And I'm going to challenge those of you that are listening to this. Next time you're in a meeting with practitioners or small businesses, do a poll of how many people even have even heard know. of this. I know. It, it's probably less than 20% of the practitioners that have heard about it, and I'm going to say probably less than 2% of the businesses. So if yeah. we don't extend it and figure out, we're heading for a train wreck. But we've but had I, train I, wrecks before. We have. And I, I mean, I have to say I've been anxiously awaiting some guidance, and I was thankful for the guide and the FAQs, but now I just I want more. I want clarification. I want what are they going to do about it? Well, I think, again, the one thing I would tell everyone, you should call your Arizona emissions carrier. Oh, there you go. And, and make sure that if you decide to offer this as a service, that it is a covered service. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know how you're going to monitor this in a 30-day world. And mm-hmm. so you're probably going to make a mistake. If you don't know have the systems to do it, your insurance company won't cover you, then don't do it. Yeah, that's what I think. Leave it to the attorneys and let them them be the bad guys. And just make let your job be just to make people aware of that it's out there 
and it's serious and explain why you're not going to do it because it's going to put all the responsibility back on the client. I mean, there's mm-hmm. just I don't care how hard you try. You're not going to know when people's driver's license expire because it may not even be an expiration. They may move. They may move from one state to another. Yeah. And it the one you had didn't expire, but they had to get another one because they moved across the state line and had to get a new license. I mean, they divorced. Gonna... They just got, went back to their main name or got married. Yeah. I mean, there's so I many mean, times all that, that you can change a driver's license. Yeah. Okay. So oh, I guess gosh. those are the two big things. Those are. There's one, just one more thing I want to mention um, yeah. on this podcast, and, and because it's also time sensitive. So we've said it before, but as a reminder, we do have that e-file mandate for information and returns starting at the beginning of the year as well. So you remember, it used to be a 250 return threshold, and right. now we are down to a 10 return threshold when you aggregate all the information returns. So it can be W-2s and 1099s. It's 10, no matter what how many of each one, basically. And so if if you have not started thinking about what's going to happen in, in your firm, how are you going to address this? How are you going to meet this mandate? We're recommending to all of our offices, don't try to pick and choose between clients and are you at eight no. or are you at nine? And what if ADP did this one and paychecks did that one? And now you're just doing one. It's, that's too cumbersome. Clearly, we are heading in the direction of e-filing all of them. If we've gone from the 250 threshold to the 10, um, I strongly suggest just e-file all your information or returns, figure out the how you're going to do that, how you're going to meet the requirement. Um, there's plenty of you know, there's track 1099 out there. You can do it on the IRS website. It is right. fairly cumbersome, but it's there and it's free on the IRS website. It's free. Yeah. But whatever works for you in your practice, just don't let it go to the wayside. And then all of a sudden in January, you're like, ah, what am I doing? <laughs> so keep, yeah, just that, give keep in. that in mind. If you were around when the e-filing of tax returns first started, there was some of the same pushback. And, mm-hmm. well, my clients don't want X, Y, and Z. But how many of you now don't just e-file everybody? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Now, eventually you got a mandate. And that's what's coming here. So mm-hmm. if this doesn't work, we'll get a mandate. So. Yeah, yeah, that you need to know about that. There was some other interesting news out of the IRS as we kind of touch on some some bullet points here. Mm-hmm. Any talk a little bit about what the IRS has said about their examination process? They're going to be they're they're changing some focuses on. Yes, on that. they are. Um, so with some of the funding and some of the focus, and they're doing a lot more um, online with AI and stuff. Um, their focus is going to be on partnerships. Large partnerships um, is going to be mainly the the focus of the audits. They are moving away from the EITC, which was a common focus. Right. Um, but you know, wealthy individuals, large partnerships, and corporations. You know, those are those fancy hedge funds and that kind of stuff. Those are definitely on target. Whereas you know, the the earned income tax credit. Um, types of returns are getting less focus and, you know, leveraging artificial intelligence is supposed to make this easier for them to identify, you know, areas of abuse. So we'll see. Yeah. And they're going to put a real focus. In fact, they're putting a whole, they call it a team, I think, of people to audit high wealth partnerships. Uh, You know, the bigger you get with the multiple entities, Mm -hmm. the a lot more income there. So they're, they're trying to shift their resources now that they have some from going after the, the lower income to the, mm-hmm. to the higher income people. And in light of that, something that I learned at my meeting last week, if all of this just says I'm fed up with this, the IRS is hiring. 
Um, <laughs> oh, God. They are looking for, uh, as they shift to a more difficult tax return, you know, to, Complexity. to audit. Complexity. Yeah, they they are, uh, and they've got some money, and so this is serious. I mean, I'm I'm saying it in a joking manner, but it is serious. They are looking to hire a lot of what they would call mid-level employees. In other words, historically, to get to the point where you'd audit a complex tax return, you started maybe opening mail, you know, in the yeah, mail you room with your, the IRS and worked yeah. yourself up. They are looking for people with accounting and finance backgrounds. Um, they will start at a salary of approximately $125,000 a year. Okay. With benefits, that's probably $175,000 yeah. because they have some really good benefits. Good benefits, they do. The IRS. Right, yeah. um, so they are, if you know anybody or, like I said, you just had enough of this and you're ready to, I don't know if that makes is it an easier job or a harder job, um, but they are looking to hire a lot of people in that mid-range level. They're, they're going to try to speed up the training of only what's necessary and try to get them on the street oh, within interesting. Uh, 60 to 90 days uh, gotcha. so they can. So it's not, you know, it's 125,000 plus benefits and, and they tend to get raises every year. And, you know, you know, you get the government holidays off and yeah. most of it's working at home. So Probably. Uh, it is a, you know, it's interesting. They, they come to our meeting and they, uh, they talk to us about that. And yet, some of the people they're trying to hire are the some of the people we're trying to hire. <laughs> exactly. I know. know. So, but you know, if if you're looking for something, if you're, you know, if you can put twenty years in, you'll be set with a good retirement. Uh, if it's something you want to do, so it's a serious uh, effort in terms yeah. of hiring these people. They've they've they mentioned the other day they've finally gotten back to the ninety thousand employee level. Oh, okay. For the okay. first time. Uh, that in funding a while. helped. Yeah. So. So if you like, I said, if you've between the ERC and the beneficial owner, you've had enough of this, and you want to <laughs> change your career, the IRS has the you know has the hiring sign out and pretty good benefits, and yeah. um, and, and it's all over the country. It's not it's not just in one part of the country. So you would probably not have to relocate. They're, they're they need them everywhere. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that was something that interesting um, that was you know. Maybe if I was much younger, it might have tempted me, but <laughs> I don't know. It, yeah. It'd be interesting to see if you took the knowledge you've learned on one side, inside, you know. <laughs> see what kind of... How would you be more... But any, would you be more lenient to people who were cheating or less lenient because... Would you think you'd fall for their sob stories? No, probably not. I think <laughs> I would probably be... I've probably heard too many sob stories. I would probably be really, really strict. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Then nobody wants you to apply for the yeah, job. Yeah, no, they probably don't want me. <laughs> yeah, yeah that probably would make the IRS better at what they do, but it would probably not make them more popular. <laughs> um, thank you, but yes, I'll, I'll leave those positions open for some others. <laughs> yes, but it's out there, and you know, and again, I expect to see with this new commissioner a lot more of uh, uh, things. Uh, he's very big on the system, you know, being fair. Mm-hmm. That if you're going to pay your taxes, that it's their job to make sure others pay their taxes. But at the same time, they have to be better at customer service. They have oh, to be yeah. they have to be a lot better. So, you know, a new commissioner, I think he's you know he's sincere in what he says. Mm-hmm. He uh, he was actually acting commissioner for a short period of time earlier oh. in his career, uh, 
when they were without a commissioner, he then left and went to other parts of government, and now he's back. So uh-huh. it's going to be interesting to follow him. Each, as we said earlier, each commissioner puts their own stamp on the agency mm-hmm. based on what they think is important to them. So um, it's going to be interesting to follow Commissioner Werfel. Um, as as Annie mentioned, we're very supportive of what he did on the yeah, uh, employee. And he didn't have much choice. He was hoping that Congress might give him some tools, but they didn't. So he had to act with what had he, he had do. in his arsenal. Mm-hmm. So, all right, what else? Roger. Anything that's else? all. No, no, that's plenty enough for one podcast. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. Hopefully, we'll one we'll have one of these that we won't talk about ERC or beneficial owner, but stuff's happening quickly and. Until then, (laughs) we'll keep you posted. (laughs) We'll keep you posted. We got another deadline to go, and then it'll be time to prepare for for next tax season and year end planning and all kinds of good stuff. If if we see any chance for any year end, you know, right now as we record this, we don't know if the government's going to be open. So, if they can't fund the government, how are they going to change any tax laws between now and the end of the year? But that's always a possibility. We'll keep an eye on that. And if there's something. It looks like it might break. We'll try to give you a heads up. But mm-hmm. right now, they may not even be working in another week or so if they can't figure out how to pay the bills. And that will change the IRS. There was an article today that they'll probably have to furlough some IRS people. So, you know, if if they shut yeah. the government down and you're working with an agent or something on an issue or need some help from the IRS heading up to a deadline. Going to be tough. Maybe tough. All right. Have we done enough for today? I think we're done for today. <laughs> all right. Well, as always, Annie, thanks for all you do thank and being you. here today. And for all you that listen, thank you for listening. Tell tell other folks, if, if you enjoy our podcast, tell other people about yeah. it. Uh, there's, I think this is 17 episodes. I was going to say, yeah, we're like 15, 16, 17. Actually, yeah. The rest of them are available on the Earmark app for CPE. Mm-hmm. You can go get an hour of CPE for listening to us. And, uh, if you have any suggestions about topics, then oh yeah, let, let us, us know. know. Mm-hmm. Let us know. All right, Thank Annie. Thank you. Let's go back to work. We got to get through one more deadline. That's right. That's right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. All content from this podcast by Small Biz Pros Incorporated, DBA Paget Business Services, is intended for informational purposes only.